Hey, everybody. Hi. Okay. Shabbat shalom. Um, so we actually read from the Parsha. It's Maketz. It covers Genesis 41, 1 through 44, 17. And what that covers is, I'm just going to give you a brief you know, synopsis. And it begins with Joseph's um, being exalted uh, over Egypt, second in command. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, and then it goes through how he saved Egypt as a nation because of the visions that God gave him, because of the dreams that he was able to, that he gave Pharaoh the seven years of plenty and then Joseph got everything ready and then during the seven years of famine they had food so it was how he was able to save Egypt and then of course save his family but it stopped short at the big the big reveal with Joseph and his brothers we do see his brothers at the end of the Parsha but the big reveal the big reunion um, we'll leave that for you Rabbi David next week when, they, when you talk about that. <clears throat> what we're going to talk about this week, though, uh, again, we begin the Parsha with Joseph becoming pretty much ruler over Egypt. I mean, Pharaoh basically says, hey, basically Pharaoh, Pharaoh just was just there, and Joseph was really running the entire nation. So Joseph was physically, literally ruling and reigning over Egypt. But we know the story about how Joseph got there. It was an incredibly difficult process. I think if you had told Joseph as a young boy, hey, you're going to do great things. Here's what it's going to take to get there. I think if God told us, this is what I have for you. This is where you are. But if God told us everything, which we know God doesn't tell us everything in the middle, right? He doesn't. He doesn't give us everything. If he told us what we'd have to go through to get to point B, I, don't, I think we'd be like, I ain't doing all that. I'm not going to go to prison for... I think they said Joseph was in prison 13 years. I mean, I, I, I'd be in prison for a year. I'd be like, man, I'm done. God's left me. Well, I must have screwed up way... I'm, who knows? I mean, I'm just saying, I can't imagine that. So we can't imagine going through such a horrible time. Affliction. It happens to all of us. You might be in your ideal situation today. And that's great. You know, in a time of plenty, comparable to Joseph when he was over Egypt, you feel locked in. You feel like you're using your gifting, your anointing. God's blessing you. That's not to say you don't go through tough times. You still will. It's, it's never an end game on this side of things. It's not just like, okay, you made it, good. Like when David became king, well, God, that wasn't the end. A lot happened after that but it was a big victory. You get victories in life. You get defeats as well. What I'm saying is, even when we're running all cylinders with God and things are great, we still have to seek the Lord. We still have hard times. We still end up sometimes going back through a season of affliction again. And you might be in that situation now. Again, where things are going great. You also, some of you, might be in a situation comparable to when Joseph was in prison. You feel that your time and energy and potential are being wasted in a situation that you believe is unfair, a dead end, or so difficult it feels like you're in prison yourself. And the truth is this, is that Joseph learned how to rule and reign long before he was physically over Egypt. 
I'm talking like long before Joseph was actually second in command over Egypt. Joseph had learned to rule and reign, I believe, years before. I actually got that from a conversation that I had with a friend of mine. I was at a conference a few years ago and a friend of mine named David. I, had, I forgot what I had to do. I, I left. There was this teaching we were going to because when you go to these conferences, there's different, lots of different rabbis come and teach. Now, I don't, you've heard of the Southeast Conference. Some of you have been to the conferences? I, I mean, with COVID, it's you know, they're kind of in the air right now, but you go to these conferences and what's great is, you know, different rabbis teach, you get to hear from different rabbis and it's a great opportunity to meet other people who are messianic because chances are you're probably in a situation where you feel like you're the only person who's messianic. You know, other people ask you what church you go to and that feels weird answering that. But um, I had to leave. I forgot what I was doing, but a friend of mine stayed in. I said, hey, I'm gonna talk to you about whatever this guy, I don't even remember the rabbi that was talking about it and I, we left I left and then I, I caught up with him at the pool at this hotel, which everybody stays at. So I said, David, what was it about? And he goes, what well, was about Joseph? I was like, yeah. He goes, well, you know how Joseph reigned over Egypt? I said, yeah. He goes, well, it was about how Joseph learned to reign even when his circumstances were bad. And that just really, I never forgot about that. I never forgot about that conversation. That was so powerful. And it is something that God expects us to do. I'm not saying it's easy but you might be in a situation where things are just really difficult, like horrible. Like Joseph was in prison, falsely accused. He shouldn't have been there. He tells the cupbearer that. He goes, I shouldn't be here. Joseph wasn't happy when persecution, you know, people tell you, oh, you know, you know when, when persecution comes along, that's great. No, nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. Nobody's praying for like tragedy or bad health. Nobody's praying to go to prison. Nobody, oh God, I just hope you do something horrible to me so I can get close to you. Nobody's doing that. I'm not saying that bad things don't happen to us. I'm just saying that Joseph was in prison. He wanted to get out. He knew he wasn't supposed to be there. The fact of the matter is though, what God expects of us, which is a lot, he does expect a lot of us. He does. He's given us something incredible, a relationship with him. He saved us. He saves us every day. He forgives us when we screw up because we still do. And the fact of the matter is, God expects us to learn how to reign in our situation, even if it's bad circumstances, and not allow circumstances to rule us, because that's how you give up, is when the circumstances take control of you, and you don't strengthen yourself in the Lord and know the one thing that Joseph eventually knew is that Adonai was with Joseph. So I'm going to read a little bit uh, from the previous Parsha about Joseph. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his other sons because he was the son of his old age. So he had made him a long sleeve tunic when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. They hated him and could not speak to him in shalom. Now look, that was Jacob's fault. I'm not, I'm not defending the brothers. What they did was horrible, but the dad was, Jacob was not, this wasn't a good look for Jacob as a father playing favorites and provoking his other sons. Joseph dreamed a dream and told his brothers, and they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream I dreamed. They were binding sheaves, sheaves in the middle of a field. All of a sudden, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered and bowed to my sheaf. Will you truly be king over us? His brothers said to him, will you really rule over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and because of his words. This is Genesis 37. But then he dreamed another dream and told his brothers, saying, I have just dreamed another dream. Suddenly there was the sun and moon and 11 stars bowing down to me. 
He told it to his father as well as his brothers. Then his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream you've dreamed? Will we really come, your mother and I, with your brothers to bow down before to the ground to you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the speech in mind. It's a couple things. Uh, there's something I want you to notice. Joseph was asked by his brothers and then by his fathers after he shared these dreams. Like, what is this? Did Joseph answer? No, because I don't think Joseph even knew. He just had this dream. What that tells me is there, there is a possibility. Should Joseph have even ran and said all that? Probably, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. There may be some immaturity there. We do have, to, we can't be so quick when God tells us something to think that I'm gonna run over here and tell my buddy or my friend or my family that God said all this to me when maybe God had a word for just you. You know, God or we thrive and God thrives off of intimacy with us. In Psalm 25, which I'm gonna talk about later. But in Psalm 25, written by David, it says that he shares his secret with the upright, which means it tells me that God might tell you something or you something or me something that he doesn't tell. It's just things for you. I don't want you to tell other people that. That was for you. So maybe it wasn't time yet for Jacob. Maybe he shouldn't have been talking about things he didn't understand. What we do know is that Jacob was given a dream about authority, authority that he would eventually have, but it seems that he had no understanding. He just was like, hey, my sheave got bowed to by yours. Then the moon and stars came after that. We might think that we're ready at times when God tells us something. And oftentimes far too soon, sometimes it takes years for God's work in us to come to completion so we can be ready to do what he's calling us to do. Look at David. David was anointed, not crowned. That's so powerful. The oil is so much more important than the crown. They poured oil on David's head. He was a kid, Samuel. And then he fights a giant. And then he's in the king's household. And then he has to run for his life for a number of years. It's a whole thing. He has to go through all kinds of stuff. And then he's crowned king. And then seven years later in Jerusalem. So he's not even in Jerusalem the first seven years. David had to go through a lot. But I guarantee you this, by the time David was 30 years old when he became king, when he actually was crowned, I guarantee you this was a guy that was battle-hardened. This was a guy that knew without a doubt that God was for him. This was a guy that had been scared so many times of people and had seen himself be delivered that he was like, I'm not worried about them because he who's with me is greater. Forget that. David learned, and if, if David, there's a saying, what is it? Uh, uh, calm waters don't make good sailors. So the fact of the matter is David had been through it. And this wasn't just some kid in a shepherd's field anymore. This was a guy who had been through it. But God chose David because David was a man after God's own heart before he was king. God's not waiting for you to get right with him and be faithful and be strong in him and rule and reign, he's not, he's, not, he's not waiting for the big moment with you to start that. He wants you to do it now. David was a man after God's own heart when he was in a field with a bunch of sheep and his harp, right in Psalm 23. He didn't care about an audience. He didn't care about it. It was fine for David to say, it's just me and you, God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm great. And God's like, that's the guy I need to put over people. See, he's not gonna lose sight of it. He's not gonna think he's nothing without a crown. He knows he's something with me. That's it. God needs to know that you believe and you know that you're something, more than something, more than a conqueror, with just him. No people, 
no authority, no physical authority, nothing. I'm a big Spider-Man fan. And there's a scene, I, I have to bring up Spider-Man. I, I think some of you, it, it, sometimes this stuff, this is tough stuff to understand. There's a scene in Spider-Man Homecoming where Spider-Man gets his suit, he's a kid. He does something really rash, he tries to save this big boat, it's a big mess, Iron Man has to come save him, and he says to him, give me your suit back. Spider-Man wants the, uh, Iron Man wants the suit back. And he goes, no, 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 I'm nothing without the suit. He goes, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. That's incredible. He's letting Peter know, you gotta be a hero outside of the suit. Guys, we have to be, we have to be more than conquerors just driving to work. Not in front of all kinds of people, not telling people what to do, not, not going out in the mission field. If you're not a more than a conqueror putting your kids to bed, changing diapers, going to work, then you, you're not ready. It's the same as Tony Stark said to Peter Parker. If you're not, if you think you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. We have to be strengthened. David needed to be strengthened. He was a man after God's own heart, but he had to go through some stuff. Joseph had to go through some stuff to be prepared to lead a nation. Let's look at Joseph's life real quick. He was born, um, and, and um, imagine a line graph. Born the son to Jacob and Rachel, sold to Egyptian slavery, and it says, but Adonai was with him. He becomes the head of Potiphar's household. He's falsely accused of assaulting Potiphar's wife, and he's back in prison. So it's like, rrr, 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 rrr. he successfully interprets the royal cupbearer's dream, who was in prison with him. Because you know, when a king doesn't like you, he can just throw you in prison. He successfully does that, asks the cupbearer to remember him. The cupbearer forgets about him. He's back in prison. It's like this. This is Joseph's life. How many of you feel like your life's like that? You can't, my emotions are like that. You can't let your feelings inform your faith. You can't let your feelings inform your faith. If you do that, your faith's gonna be based on how you feel, okay? We have to, that's something we have to learn. That's something I'm still learning. So Jacob's, uh, Joseph's life, like this. But there's this other line that would be straight, I think, and it would be, but the Lord was with Joseph. And you have to believe that. That even when it doesn't seem like it, and I've been through times where God was silent and he's just not talking. And you feel like, well, man, you're supposed to be my dad. You're supposed to be my father. You said that you love me with an everlasting love. Why are you being silent? Sometimes it, and affliction is oftentimes about preparation. It's about making you strong. I'm a history guy. I t I've taught history for nine years. Do we know who Margaret Thatcher is? She's Prime Minister of Great Britain. I don't know a whole, whole lot about Margaret Thatcher, but one of her quotes I really like, she says, God does not, ha excuse me, she says that God does not want faint hearts for his ambassadors, which means if God is gonna send you out, you better prepare to be strengthened. God doesn't want to send somebody that's gonna crumple when it gets hard, that's gonna stop believing in him because, well, he just didn't give me what I wanted. God's like, I can't do anything with this. I love you, but it's not about, I'm going through this with my son, he's six. Dad, can I watch YouTube? He, he, he had a bad night one night, the next day, Dad, can I watch YouTube? No, but I've been good. I'm saying, well, why are you good? Are you good because it's right or because you want YouTube? You want, do, we, do we want the gift or do we want the giver of the gift? We gotta want the giver of the gift. Joseph, his life like this, but at some point in this, he understood, wait a minute, God's with me. It doesn't matter if I'm in prison. If this is where I'm gonna stay, as long as God's with me. When we begin this Parsha, Joseph is rising to power. 
a change is in Joseph. He's now, he's been ruling and reigning from prison. Somewhere along the line, he understood, God, you're enough. If I never get out of this prison, you're enough. We have to believe in our times of our dry periods, when things are just like, what is going on? When you're shaking your fist, and I believe Joseph did that. I don't think Joseph was like, oh, great, count it all joy, I'm in prison. Because when the cupbearer came, he said, hey, put in a good word for me. Get me out of here. I don't want to be in here. I want to get out of here. So there's nothing wrong with being honest and saying, this is not comfortable, Lord. Read David's Psalms. I'm scared. People are after me. They're like dogs. They're after me. Get me out of this. But don't give up. Don't give up. Joseph in prison learned to rule and reign and get a humility and a strength, a mental and spiritual endurance that would be able to handle the authority to lead a nation. Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one as discerning and as wise as you. You will be over my house and all my people will pay homage to you. This is huge. He's now ruling and reigning literally. His dream makes sense now, but look at what he went through to get there. I'm not telling you all, hey, you need to go to prison to learn how to be tough for God. But you do have to sometimes learn how to deal with affliction the right way. And we have to understand that God wants you to be the man you're meant to be before you actually walk in your destiny. Whatever it is he has meant for you to do, you don't become that person the moment it happens for you. Like when David became king, he was already a man after God's own heart. Already was that guy. The crown, it was like, okay, now it's time to get to work. Everything, all the years of running from Saul and learning and seeing down in the dirt, I was with you, kid. Now you're gonna be able to lead people. Yeshua did it. You know, I work in public education. If there's anything that gets on my nerves, it's when you're told to do something by somebody who's never done it themselves. I learned that a lot being a teacher, but you might learn that in your job. When somebody tells you what to do, they say, hey, I want you to do this, this, and this. And it's something they've never done. They have no experience in it, but they want you to do it. Our Messiah, Yeshua, there is nothing he's gonna tell you to do that he didn't go through. I'm gonna strengthen you to get through this temptation. Well, you don't know what it's like. Yes, I do. Even God himself knows what it's like to lose a child. He knows it all, and Yeshua's been through it. Being alone, being bullied, physically assaulted, chased, having his best friends leaving, having his best friends openly reject him, things that we go through, he knows it, he's seen it. I wanna go through, I wanna go to Luke chapter two, because God expects us to be and become we're constantly becoming. I'm not telling you today it's going to happen for you. But God expects us to, to become and develop and grow in strength in our journey along the way. Not, hey, wait till you get to point B and then, then it's going to happen for you. You follow? Look at Yeshua. Luke chapter 2. Now his parents were going every year to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. This is when he was a boy. This, we only see Yeshua three times. Baby, boy, and then when he's 30, he's a baby, we get a glimpse of him. He's a boy, we get a glimpse of him. And then when he's an adult. Now his parents were going every year to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. When he became 12, 
So if you're young and you're listening to this, guys, you absolutely can be about your father's business, even at a young age. Um, as they headed home after completing the days, the boy Yeshua remained in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know. Supposing he was in the caravan, they went a day's journey and began looking for him amongst relatives and friends. <coughs> Excuse me. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the center of the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. He was asking them stuff. And to all those hearing him, they were astonished at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw Yeshua, they were overwhelmed. And his mother said to him, child, why did you do this to us? Your father and I were searching for you frantically. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I must be about the things of my father? 12 years old, and he's taken everybody to school. 12 years old, and he's still taking us to school. There is never a time when you should not be about the things of your father. Yeshua didn't just get to go and have fun and have a 29-year vacation, and then when he's 30, okay, Yeshua, come back to Jerusalem. It is time to do what you're meant to do. He was 12 years old, and he was in the temple, and he was about the things of his father. He was the Messiah his whole life. I know he's a tough example because he is perfect. He's the only perfect person I'm talking about today. We also know, I just want to mention this because this next person I'm going to talk about is someone that we actually don't know very much about as far as physical details. We know that in Luke 22, Yeshua tells, he says when he's arrested, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. How many times have we heard that? Yeshua is seated at the right hand of the Father. There's the Father, and there's Yeshua. Seated, because he is a king, right? He and his father are one. He's the Messiah. He's a king. He never said he wasn't. When people bowed to him and stuff, Yeshua didn't say, no, 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 don't do that. I'm not a king. He absolutely accepted worship. He knew who he was, and he was seated at the right hand of the Father. He himself says that when he's arrested. He says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Father. I want to talk about a guy named Stephen, who we actually quoted today in the Brit Hadashah reading. We first see Stephen in Acts 6. Now in those days when the disciple Acts 6, now in those days when the disciples were multiplying, this is after everything. This is after Yeshua. This is the disciples. They're, this is the Acts. This is what they did after Yeshua died and rose. In those days when the disciples were multiplying, it's happening. Grumbling arose among the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily support. So the twelve, that's the twelve disciples, now the apostles, called together the whole group of disciples and said, it's not right for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. They're not saying that that's a menial job. They're just saying, we have to do this. We need someone to do this. Guys, don't look at what you're doing. Well, I only do this. I don't do that. So brothers, select from you seven reputable men full of spirit and wisdom that we may put charge of this duty. They didn't just say, just get guys that are willing to wait. Spirit and wisdom. It's an important job. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and service of the word. It was just another part of the body. We in our, uh, I think it's an American mentality too, this, you know, ambition of moving up. We think, well, someone who's a missionary is not as important as someone who cleans the bathrooms at a church or a synagogue. And that's not true. Both, you want spirit and wisdom. The statement pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and the Holy Spirit, 
and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Now notice, it was Stephen that they specifically said was full of the Holy Spirit and was full of faith. So that's all we know about Stephen. I don't know what he did when he was born. I don't know how he came to faith. I just know two things, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Already doing it before he stepped into service. Already living a life outside of the suit. If you watch Spider-Man. We know that Peter is arrested for his faith. And then the next part we hear about Stephen, he gives a sermon, probably one of the greatest sermons in Scripture. It's one chapter, it's Acts 7, where he recounts the whole history. He even talks about Joseph. He mentions Joseph. But he goes through the history of God's people. And then he talks about the prophets. And then he, then he, then he gives a scathing rebuke to the, to the scribes. And we know what happens to Stephen. And I want you to listen to this because this is why. This is so important to go the distance. It's so important to be full of faith even before. Even before you get some kind of position with God, like Joseph, like David, Moses. Moses shepherded for 40 years before he started shepherding God's people. They cover their ears. So, so excuse me. He's, um, when they heard these things, so Stephen, I, I can't read all of Acts 7, but when he gave this, the, the message, it says, when they heard, this is a highly anointed message from Stephen. Two things we know about him, full of faith, we don't know where he's from. We don't know who his parents are. Full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. When they heard these things, they became enraged. These are the Pharisees, scribes, and began gnashing their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Yeshua standing at the right hand of God. What's the difference? He's not seated. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears. This is... And crying out with a loud voice, they rushed to him with one impulse. I'm sorry. Driving him out of the city, they began stoning him. And witnesses uh, laid down their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's Paul. Stephen uh, was calling out, Lord, Yeshua, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Um, I didn't want to compare our glorious faith to sports. But, you know, Paul does it. He talks about running the race. So... Do we have any sports fans that really like sports? Okay, you ever been to a football game? So what do you do when you're sitting in the crowd and there's a kickoff and the guy catches it at the 10-yard line and he runs 90 yards for a touchdown? What does everybody do? They stand. What I'm telling you is I don't think that Yeshua was sitting at the right hand going, Stephen's about to die. Come, child. I think it was, look, at what he's doing. This is my guy down there. Get up here. Bring it in. I don't think he could sit. I think he got up. I think he said, I can't sit for this. Look at what this guy's doing. Yes, that can be you. He said, this is why I came down. There's nothing wrong with getting up for sports. I'm just saying what you want to do is make your Messiah get up and go, look at what he's doing. And when you're receiving the glory, I don't think it's come. I think it's bring it in. That was awesome. Uh, that's what we want. Who doesn't want a hug from Yeshua? Who doesn't want a hug from the Lord? Sometimes I think we're too busy praying about the things that we're worried about, praying for forgiveness of sins that we've already asked for forgiveness for, that we feel not forgiven for. We need to let it go. 
when sometimes God wants to hear, will you hold me? You don't have to say anything. Will you just show up? And God's like, yeah, I'm your dad. We've got to make, that's, that's what it has to be about. And then Paul saw that, you know, Paul, who we love. Paul was standing there like, yeah, this is good. Can you imagine the mercy of God? And then what's amazing is Paul gives us this. I don't think Paul forgot about Stephen. I gotta be honest with you. Can you imagine that? How Did Paul carry that with him, Stephen? I think so. Wow. And Paul says, but we have this, in 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in jars of clay. God knows we're broken so that the surpassing greatness of power may be from God and not from ourselves. Listen, if you're going through something, listen to this. We are hard pressed in every way, yet not crushed perplexed yet not in despair persecuted not forsaken struck down not destroyed always caring in the body of the death of Yeshua so that the life of Yeshua may be revealed in our mortal body therefore we do not give up we do not lose heart though our outward man is decaying if you feel like you're in prison like Joseph on the run like David don't lose heart though your outward man is decaying your inward man is being renewed every day Lynn said his mercy is new today. For our trouble, light and momentary, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Hey, can the worship team come up? As we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary. What cannot be seen is eternal. And I just want to pray um, over you guys as I close. Father, uh, Lord, it's, life is tough. You knew this wasn't an easy walk. Yeshua always talked about the cost of faith, not the benefits. The benefits are eternal, but the cost of walking these things out here on earth can be tremendous. When we look at Stephen, we look at David, we look at Joseph. Father, um, there's something I did want to add that I know I felt led for you to, to share for, for my brothers and sisters today and that's just that there may be someone here that's like well that's great Joseph was a great guy David was a great guy but I've just I'm such a mess and I'm such a train wreck and there's no way God has something special for me to do because I'm just uh, too broken I may be a, a, a broken vessel but I'm too shattered I've committed too many sins to that I say what David said in Psalm 25 when he prayed to the Lord. He said, see my afflictions and take away my sins. David asked God to see his affliction and take away his sins. God, David is telling us something there. God is telling us something through David. Afflictions, if God took away afflictions every time he asked, well, we'd all be happy in here. But your sins, you, afflictions stay sometimes because God's working in us to make us stronger, to test our faith. But sins, they go. Your sins are taken away. So if you're sitting in here under condemnation, if you have gotten before the Lord and you have asked God for forgiveness and you have gotten on your knees, anything after that is condemnation, not conviction. Don't walk in it. Don't go down that path. Put it down. Let the blood of Yeshua cover it. Let the work of Yeshua cover it and keep moving forward. Keep your forward momentum and grow stronger in the faith. 
and keep running the race. And it's my prayer that when we see glory, we'll see the Messiah standing at the right hand, telling us to bring it in. So, Father, I just pray for each of them. I pray for breakthrough. I pray that if it's not today, I pray they get some encouragement. I pray they get a glimpse of the glory so that it'll make getting to tomorrow a little bit easier. Father, but this I'm assured, this I have assurance of that, that what you started in them you'll complete until the day of glory in Messiah Yeshua. In Yeshua's name.